Greetings and welcome back to TanakhStudy.com, the podcast program in which we study Parshat HaShavua over the course of six podcasts during the week in which that parasha is read. My name is Yitzchak Shalom. It's my honor to be studying Sefer Shemot with you. We're studying the second half of Shemot, and we are now at the conclusion of our study of Parashat Mishpatim. We are in Perak Chaf Kimmel of Sefer Shemot, Pasuk Chaf, and even though this last piece is significantly longer than any of the sections we've done, it, we felt it was necessary to break the law code into the five sections we broke it into for a proper treatment. <clears throat> now that we have finished with the law code, the rest of, this ch- of the parsha is really about covenanting. Behold, I'm going to send before you a malach. We'll talk about the, what that means momentarily. To guard you on the way. And to bring you to the place that I have prepared for you. Now, what is a malach? A malach really is an agent. The malach Hashem is an agent of God, which could be an angel, as is commonly translated, or it could be a human agent. Most Rishonim understand that this is talking about a spiritual angel. And Rashi and others who follow say that here is where B'nai Yisrael found out that they ultimately are going to sin and Hashem will remove his personal presence, whatever that may mean, and instead will send a malach to lead them. However, given the context of what's going on here, it's a little bit difficult, and as the Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor suggests, we're going to adopt this position, the malach here refers to a navi. And at this point, what's happening is that Hashem is telling B'nai Yisrael, I'm appointing a Navi to lead you on the way. And that Navi, of course, is Moshe, which means that Moshe is being resent, reagented at this point to lead B'nai Yisrael to the land. Until now, his job was to lead them out of Mitzrayim to our Sinai. Moshe was given specific agency, which we read about last week, to bring them to God at the mountain. And now he's been given a new agency, which is to lead them into the land. And and Hashem is saying to them, Be careful from his presence. Listen to his voice. Do not rebel against him. Which is exactly what's been going on with Moshe. He will not bear your sins. Why? Kishmi bekirbo, and indeed, <coughs> after Chet Egel, Moshe removes himself from the community, and ultimately his face shines in such a way, as we'll read about when we get to the end of Parshat Kitisa, that the people really can't be in his presence, <coughs> and that's after they've sinned, and so rather kiim shamoa tishma bekolo, so Hashem is confirming Moshe's agency as his lawgiver and as representative. You indeed rather, key here being rather, must heed to his voice, and you do everything that I say. What I say is what he says, meaning he's telling you what I'm saying. If you do that, then, it's an unusual phrase. An oyev is an enemy. means I will make enemies of your enemies, but Sartit Sorecha is a parallel to that, which seems to mean that I will make a very clear demarcation of who your enemies are, and as long as you are clear 
on the identity of this Navi and his relationship to me, you will also be clear on who your enemies are, which will make it easier to fight. So this agent of mine will go in front of you. He'll bring you to the land of those six nations. Here Gashir is not mentioned. And I will cut them off. I will cut them off. He's going to lead you, but I'm going to cut them off. And now specific warnings dealing with coming to the land. So you must not prostrate yourself to their gods, do not worship them, and don't behave like they do, they being the people. Rather, key here being rather, harest are saying destroy them. What's destroy what? Destroy their gods. And break down their steels, their stones that are used for worship. And instead of that, you worship Hashem your God, and He will bless your food and your water, and I will get rid of disease from your midst. Now, one thing that happens often in these presentations of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that there is a mixture between first person and third person. Hashem describes himself, I will get rid of disease, and yet in the same sentence, you shall worship Hashem your God and he will bless your bread. But this is common in the interaction between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and people. It happens every time we say Abracha, we say Baruch Atah, in the second person, talking to God, and then Asher Kiddushan of Mitzvotav, in the third person. He continues to bless, You will not have a Meshakela, meaning somebody who miscarries, or an Akara, a barren woman, in your land. I will fill your days. So there are two things that will happen. You'll have lots of kids, and there will be no problems with childbirth and the lack of childbirth, and you will also live long lives. Et emati asharach lefanecha, v'hamoti et kol ha'am ashetavo bahem, v'natati et kol oivecha elecha oref. And this is the next step in the blessing. I will send my fear, et emati, a word that we last heard in Shirat Hayam, <clears throat> that tipol alehem emata v'facha, the fear of God falls on them, I will send that fear in front of you, meaning before you even go to war, they will already be afraid. Hamotir here doesn't mean I will kill, but rather I will confuse in mehuma the nation that you attack. How do I know that doesn't mean to kill? Because your enemies will then turn their back to you, meaning they'll run away. I will send a hornet before you and it will chase out these nations from before you in other words I'm sending all sorts of things in front of you a malach a fear a tzirah all of these things to help clear the path and what do you need to do? you need to do essentially one thing which is broken into two when you come into the land not to be seduced by the local culture and the other half which is to remain loyal to Hashem and now there's a bit of a warning relating to that, to that uh, dispossession of the land. 
I will not get rid of them before you in one year. Meaning you're not going to come in and suddenly in one fell swoop, they're all going to run away. Why? Because what's the ecological and <coughs> urban problem with that? Because then the land will be desolate, desolate meaning of people. And then all the animals will come and attack because they'll find this area that there was formerly inaccessible to them is now available and they're going to come eat, etc. Rather, a little bit of a time, at a time, I will send them, I will exile them from your presence until you become fruitful and then you can inherit the land. As if to say, with all of the 600,000 soldiers you got, it's still not enough for you to inherit the land because you're going to come in and little by little they'll disappear. A little by little you become fruitful until finally you're ready to take over the land. So even HaKadosh Baruch Hu's plan for B'nai Yisrael of how to dispossess the land is being done in gradations for our benefit. I will place your border from Yamsuf, which is interesting because we crossed Yamsuf, we're done with Yamsuf, we've left it behind, all the way to Yam Plishtim. Yam Plishtim is the Mediterranean. And from the desert up until the Nahar. And the Nahar refers to Nahar Prat, the Euphrates. I will hand over to you all the residents of the land and you will exile them from your presence. But this is again going to happen slowly. And here's the warning. Do not cut a breed with them, a covenant with them or with their gods. Now, cutting a covenant with the gods here would mean that you'd be making a covenant with them and their gods' names would be involved somehow in that covenant. The second piece of the puzzle here is what's lotichrot? Why is a covenant cut? So if you go back to Breshit Tervav, you can understand. How did Hashem make the Brit with Avraham in the Brit Ben He took animals and cut them in half and put them on two sides and sat in the middle or stood in the middle with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, represented by the fire to make the Brit. And this was in the ancient Near East, the way that covenants were made. Animals were cut and separated and people would sit in the middle and either eat or make the covenant. There's several different explanations for the symbolism, but anyway, it involves cutting in. It involves cutting an animal, and therefore the the verb used for making a covenant is lichrot brit. Lo They may not dwell in your land. Because then they will cause you to sin against me. Why? You will end up worshiping their gods, and that will be a trap for you. Interesting is the text does not regard Kitavot Eloam as being the essential issue, but rather the trap that you'll fall into into totally assimilating with them. Although, of course, we understand that the worship of the foreign gods is itself an essential disloyalty to God and cardinal sin. And thus ends the bracha component and somewhat of the condition component of the Brit that Hashem is giving us at Har Sinai. This is really the conclusion of Mamar Har Sinai, in that we've been at Har Sinai, we will be there for a lot longer, 
but the revelation took place. Moshe went into the cloud, was given the mishpatim as B'nai Yisrael requested, and then before coming out, Hashem then gave him a message about how to deal with these mishpatim, the significance of them, and their role in the future wheel and success of B'nai Yisrael. Notice that in this in this brit, B'nai Yisrael promised three things. The two of them we're very familiar with throughout Sefer, without, throughout Sefer Breshit, which is the promise of the land. Several times, the enemies will be dispossessed from the land. They'll be sent away and you will conquer it. You will settle it. The broadest borders of the land are given, essentially from Egypt until the Euphrates. And the second promise is, of course, of childbirth. And here the promise again is magnified, as is the promise of the land. The promise is magnified, not only that you'll have lots of kids, but you will have no miscarriages and no barren women, etc. But there's a third promise here, and the third promise is one of protection in war. That there will be all sorts of agents sent ahead in war to frighten and to defeat the enemy before we even get there. These are the same three promises, if you recall, that Yaakov was given during his famous vision at Beit El. In Breshit Chafchet, <clears throat> at the beginning of Parshat Vayetzei, when Yaakov has his dream, Hashem appears to him, and the first thing he says is, "The land you're lying on, I'm giving to you. You have lots of kids, and you will spread in every direction. And third, I am going to protect you and bring you back to this place." The same three promises are given. That becomes prominent because of what happens now in the final scene before Moshe actually ascends to the top of the mountain to receive more laws and the tablets. And that, of course, we will see at the end of this parasha. So here we go. Moshe Amar. Now remember, Moshe is in the cloud at the bottom of the mountain, but inside the cloud. And Ben Yisrael are outside the cloud waiting to hear these mitzvot. Ben Yisrael have not heard any of this yet. So he tells Moshe, you come up to Hashem. You, Aharon, Aharon's two eldest sons, Nadav and Avihu, and 70 of the elders. Now we'll hear about 70 of the elders much later on in Parshat Bahalotcha. But in the meantime, here they're mentioned. And you will all prostrate yourselves from a distance. Now, what, what does that mean, from a distance? We only understand from a distance because of the next phrase. <clears throat> Moshe himself will approach Hashem. And they won't approach, meaning these 73 people, the 70 elders, Nadav Abihu and Aharon, will stay from a distance, watching as Moshe comes directly to Hashem, whatever that may mean. We assume that when they get to the top of the mountain, they'll see something which will indicate that's where Hashem is. And the nation are not going to come up at all. As he said, these 74 people come up, and then one comes closer, and the other 73 keep their distance. Now, that would mean that at this point, Moshe should come out of the cloud, summon the other 73 people, and go up to the mountain. Moshe does not do that. Moshe comes out of the cloud, and he comes to the people and does exactly what the people asked, back at the end of Parshat Yitro. You speak with us, and we'll hear. Don't let God speak with us, because we're afraid we're going to die. 
So Moshe comes out, he tells them all the things, and kol ha-mishpatim, all of the laws that we read about in Parshat Mishpatim. Vayalim kol ha-am kol achad vayomru, what's the people's reaction when they're told that an Ebedivri has to have his ear pierced, that a machashefa has to be killed, that you have to pay 50 shkalim for a moah betulot for a betula, etc. Kol ha-dvarim ashedibel Adonai na-aseh. All of the things that Hashem said, we will do. We are accepting it full, the full package. Nice. Vayichtov Moshe. This is only the second time we hear about Moshe writing anything. The only other time was when he was commanded to write the story of the Amalek War at the end of B'Shalach. Vayichtov Moshe et kol divrei Adonai, vayashkem baboker, vayivin izbeach tachat ahar. So he writes all of the words of Hashem. What does it mean, all of the words of Hashem? Does it mean aser tadibrot? Does it mean everything from Aserta de Brot through the Mishpatim? Does it mean the Bracha? Does it mean everything in the Torah up until that point? Every everybody has a different approach to this. The whole range of possibilities is there. Vayashkem Baboker gets up early in the morning. So this is now the next day after coming out of the cloud. Vayivan Mizbeach Tachatahar. He builds a Mizbeach at the foot of the mountain. And remember, at the end of Parshat Yitro, he was told about how to build a Mizbeach. He builds 12 steels to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. A steel is a standing rock, a matseva. There is only one other place in the Torah where we hear about matsevot in any positive fashion, and that is the four matsevot built by Yaakov. The first one built by Yaakov was built the morning after that vision where he was promised those three things. And each of the subsequent matsevot were built by Yaakov when each one of those promises was realized. When the promise of protection was realized and he found that Hashem had intervened on his behalf to stop Lavan from hurting him. When he was granted the land when he returned and when Binyamin, his child born in Eretz Yisrael, was born, he, he established a matseva. And now that the same three promises come to fruition, here at Har Sinai, Moshe builds matsevot also to represent the twelve sons of Yaakov. <clears throat> Important to note also is that in the vision that Yaakov had, going up and down this sulam, the Midrash beautifully says the sulam is Har Sinai and Malachi Elohim is Moshe, Aharon, and his sons. And so the image of the ascent and descent at Har Sinai which we've seen some of and which is going to happen again, is very much a realization of the dream, of the vision that Yaakov had, and now the Matzevot come to make that actual. What does Moshe do? There's an interesting story behind that word. We'll talk about it in a moment. Moshe sends the young men of B'nai Yisrael. So he sends them to bring Olot. There are no Kohanim yet sends them to bring burnt offerings, and they slaughter peace offerings to Hashem, which are parim. Famous discussion in Masachet Yoma, whether parim modifies just the shlamim or all the korbanot, but that's what they bring. The word na'arim is an interesting phenomenon. At the very interesting, at the very end of the Sifri, the Midrash Halacha on Sefer Dvarim, we are told that there were three Sifrei Torah found in the Azara. One was called Sefer Ma'on, 
One was called Sefer Hihi, and one was called Sefer Za'atut. Curious names. Why were they called that way? Because the three of them were all were consistent, except for the word Ma'on, at the end of Perak Lamed Gimel in Dvarim, just before the end of the Torah. We read Me'ona Elohei Kedem. In two of the Sefarim it said Me'ona, and one of them it said Ma'on. So that Sefer Torah got called Sefer Ma'on. In in a Sefer Torah, we have the word he, he yod aleph, meaning she, written usually as who, he vav aleph, but it's read as he. In most Sefer Torah, it's written he properly, with a yod, 11 times. In one of the Sefer Torah, it's only written 9 times. And in the third Sefer Torah, so that Sefer Torah with the oddity was called Sefer he, he, and the third Sefer Torah, at this parasha, it said, Vaishlachet za'atute b'nei Yisrael, and the word will come up again. And it was za'atut, which is some sort of like a princely man. But the other two, it said na'arei. And the interesting thing is the Chachamim ruled always in favor of the two, which means me'ona beat ma'on, and the proper amount of his, and na'arei beat za'atut, which parenthetically means that according to the Psak, none of those Sifri Torah was itself kasher. In any case, that's the little story behind Na'are. Continue on with our psukim. Vayikach Moshe chatzi adam, vayasem ba'aganot. Vachatzi adam zarak ala mizbeach. So Moshe took half of the dam of these korbanot and put them into cups, and half of it he put on the mizbeach. Vayikach sefer abrit. And now he takes sefer abrit, which is what he wrote. Vayikrah be'ozneha'am. Now that it's coming from a Sefer, he reads the exact same words that he read before, but he read them by heart. Now he's reading them from the text that he wrote. And the people say, everything that Hashem said we will do, and we will be obedient. We'll do it, and we will be obedient. We'll accept it. And now, so Moshe took half the, the Dom that was in the cups, he threw it on the people. Most we showed him understand he threw it on the steels representing the people. Here is the Dam Habrit, the blood of the covenant that Hashem has made with you on all these things. This is a real covenant and you're really obligated. And now Moshe has finished his scene at the foot of the mountain. Now, now Moshe, Aharon, Aharon's two sons, and the Zakinim all ascend. And now everybody's at the foot of the mountain, having just gone through the Brit, and seeing them go up to the mountain, ostensibly to get more law, or to worship God and thank Him for this covenant. Vayiru et Elohei Yisrael. Very hard to explain what this pasuk means, <clears throat> but it says, they saw the God of Israel. V'tachat raglav and under his legs they saw like a sapphire and the purity of heavens what this all means it's clearly mystical clearly beyond our comprehension but it's a description that alludes to that which we read much more explicitly and a great, much greater length in sections of Yechezkel most notably the first chapter to the elders he did not attack. What does that mean? Well, we'll see. They gazed at God and they ate and drank. Now, what does that mean? 
So that means one of two opposite things. One is that the elders or the princely men of Israel were behaving very casually. And while they're staring at God, they're eating and drinking. And they really deserve to die. But God didn't want to mar the festivities and didn't kill them. The other way is the very opposite. To say that God did not hurt them because while they were gazing at God, it was as if they were eating and drinking. Meaning, they were so enraptured by the spirituality of the moment that it was as if they were eating or drinking, but they weren't. In any case, that's the elders. Now, let's move up to Moshe. Moshe. <clears throat> Come to me at the mountain. Imagine this statement. Come up to me at the mountain and be there. Be there. Stay there. I will give you the tablets of stone. We're going to find out about them in Parshat Kitisa. The Torah, the instruction, the mitzvah, the commandments that I have written in order to instruct them. So does that mean that I've got a written book that I'm going to hand to you? Does it mean I've got the luchot to give you and I'm orally going to give you the Torah and the mitzvah? But Asher Katavti, what does that mean? It's all unclear and it remains unclear. Suddenly we hear about Yehoshua, who has fairly been in the background, but now Yehoshua comes up, this is the second time we've heard of him. Only first time was at at the war of Amalek. Yoshua, his servant, who was not mentioned earlier, goes up the mountain. Vayal Moshe Har Elohim, and Moshe goes up to Har Elohim. Well, they were all up on Har Elohim, so Har Elohim may represent here a certain higher crest on Har Sinai. Velaz kenim amar shulanu vazeh anashana shuvalechem veaynei aron v'chori machem yival dvarim yigashalehem. So he turned to the Zikinim, and what did he say? Remember, Israel are down the foot. He's not talking to them anymore. He's too far away. He turns to the elders and says, You stay here until we return. Who's the we? Me and Yoshua. And Aharon and Hur are among you. Evidently, Hur is one of the Zikinim. Hur may be Aharon's nephew, maybe Miriam's son, maybe Miriam's husband. Not unclear who he is. Whoever has a case should go to them. I'm putting them in my stead. Remember back at the beginning of Parshat Yitro, Moshe is judging. He is appointing them as pro tem, the supreme judges. Notice how closely this story is to the story of the Akedah. We have a group going up, and then Moshe v'Yoshua, Avraham v'Yitzchak. Moshe v'Yoshua going up to the mountain, and then he turns to the elders and say, Shvulanu Azeh, Shvulachem Imachamor. You stay here. Vinishtachavev and Ashuvalechem, Ahavraham says. Arashen Ashuvalechem, says Moshe. And you will stay here and we're going to go, but we're going to worship and we're going to come back to you. And now, Vayal Moshe Lahar, Vayachase Anan Etahar. We are not told what happens to Yoshua. Moshe goes up further to the mountain and the cloud covers the mountain. Now, wasn't the whole mountain in a cloud? Either that was a different cloud, different kind of cloud, a different thickness of cloud, or else it lifted and now it came down again. Perhaps this is where Chachamim get the Midrash at the Akedah, that when Avraham was coming, how did he recognize the place? Because he saw a cloud over the mountain. Vayishkon kvod Adonai al Har Sinai. Hashem's glory rests on Har Sinai and it's covered by the cloud. 
Sheshit Yamim for six days. And on the sixth day, Hashem calls him by Yom on the sorry, now seventh day, from the cloud and summons him. And this is going to be replicated later on when after the Mishkan is established and the cloud rests on the Mishkan, Vaikra El Moshe, Hashem summons Moshe. Now there is no Mishkan, now this Mishkan is up on top of the mountain, the cloud is covering, and Hashem summons him from the cloud to come in. Remember we said, Moshe will recognize where it is that Hashem is that he's going to approach, that's what we have. Now in the meantime, let's get a, a, a mountain bottom eye view. We see it as a cloud, but what does it look like from the for, from the bottom? Like an Eish Ochelet, a consuming fire on top of the mountain. That's what B'nai Israel see. What B'nai Israel see? They see Moshe going up, and there's a consuming fire. Moshe walks into the cloud. Meaning, from their perspective, he walks into the fire. And he goes up further to the mountain. And Moshe is up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. We'll talk about the 40 days and 40 nights in Kitisa when he comes down. But in the meantime, this is his going up. One last point about this very last scene of Moshe going up in, into the fire. If you recall back in Perak Gimel, when Moshe is at the Sneh, standing on our Sinai, looking at a consuming fire that does not destroy what it is inflaming. It's a consuming fire, but it doesn't consume. When Moshe says to Hashem, I can't go, who am I, who has been Israel? Hashem says to him, Perkeon Pasuk Yod Bet, Dialogue in Tanakh always implies that somebody is pointing to something. And we say that that's the Matzah Maror that you point to. And we say that Hashem pointed and showed Moshe what a new moon looked like, etc. This is the sign. So Hashem is pointing to the snare. This is the sign. When you come back, you're going to worship Hashem on this mountain. What does it mean? This is the sign of you, meaning that's going to be you. When we come back here, you're going to be the snare that is inflamed and is not consumed. You're going to go into a fire and come out alive. And here it's finally realized when Moshe enters into the fire to be in God's presence and to get the rest of the Torah to bring to Am Yisrael. And ultimately, of course, Moshe does come out very much alive. And nonetheless, by the time he comes out, things have radically changed on the ground, and we'll see about that in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, we will wish you a Shabbat Shalom, and in Mirza Hashem next week, we'll meet together with Parshat Trumah.